All right, morning everyone. Uh, so today we have our former coach with us, Ian Armiger. He's got so much experience. He started off up north in uh, Bradford uh, with Age Group Swimming, Swimming Club and worked his way towards uh, director of Loughborough Swimming from 97 to 2012. Uh, that was where we, we knew him and we met him. Um, he was our coach leading into the 2012 game, so we've got a great relationship with him and obviously friends now. Um, after 2012, he shot off to the Cayman Islands for some sun, uh, stayed there for, for just over a year um, as director of Cayman Swimming, and now he's back and he's here to talk to us today. So he's got 40 years of uh, experience that he can... You make me sound old right now, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't look it. <laughs> no, that's good. Keep, he's keep he's saying got, that. got loads of stuff that he can give us today. So, welcome in. How are you? Uh, great to see you guys. Fantastic. I'm sure we're going to have a good good session for the for the guys listening in and watching in. And uh, yeah, let's we'll cover a lot of areas and hopefully you'll find some of that interesting. And you, as you well know, I get a bit excited. I'm very passionate about swimming and what we do. And uh, yeah, let's let's see how we go. Yeah. yeah. I see you got your fast swimming shirt on, ready, ready to rock. Yeah. Always get immersed in it. That's what I say. So first thing in the morning. That leads me into it then. So why why swimming? Why why was it swimming that got of all the sports of all the professions? Why why swimming? What sports? <laughs> what other sports are there? <laughs> what, what, what a question! You know, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's quite quite unusual, really, because I think obviously I was a swimmer myself as a kid, and it, it's almost like swimming just came naturally, and I. You know, I can't explain that. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to go too much into the details. I bore you with the details. But when I was a little kid, I lived in this village in Norfolk. You can't tell by this accent, can you? But I, I, I was in this little village, right? And the bus went to the town once a week. And there was all that stuff. And anyway, it sounds like one of those sketches on the comedy sketches, doesn't it? I lived in a paper bag and had a bag and everything else. Anyway, so I was about five or something. And we went on holiday to, to a seaside resort. And I saw the swimming pool and basically I saw people swimming around in it across the widths and I just jumped in. I mean, without any armbands or anything like that. <laughs> now, and then, I, you know, and I basically swam across the width and my parents had an absolute freak, you know, and I, but obviously I didn't have the techniques or any strokes, but I thought, well, that's what you do. You swim, so you swim about. You know, so how I can explain that, I can't, right? And <laughs> so obviously there was something there that like swimming was swimming. And then when we moved to the Northeast, I kind of started swimming. I didn't really have any lessons or anything like that. I just went to the school and then started swimming and then started racing people and, and everything else. And it kind of developed from that, you know? And so I had, I had that kind of something in there that drew me towards swimming. And when I graduated and I started teaching, at, like in a normal school, and uh, but then I started coaching almost straight away. And I used to think to myself, and teaching, yeah, it probably wasn't my thing, you know, because I couldn't really be myself. I felt I had to be this other person and, you know, I wasn't comfortable with it, let's say. And I used to look at the occupations or people who were in like in the arts like I don't know writers or artists or musicians and I think well, that must be great to just do something like that which is your passion and your, and it's your job as well and then I'm, I'm thinking and I was thinking of doing all these different jobs blah 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 
and, and I thought, well, swimming's my passion. It's what comes naturally. It doesn't, it's not a, not a hassle. It's not a problem. It's what I do. Yeah, that's a career I'm going to pursue. And because I had the passion for it, the excitement for it, I liked it. And because I was teaching, I thought, oh, yeah, well, coaching. And, and so almost immediately I stopped swimming. I went into to coaching part-time. Well, it's never part-time, is it? It's like your dad, Joe, you know, it's like you're full on with it. And so I, I was balancing two jobs, but I did that until I could get in a position where, so I moved, we'll cover this later, maybe from one club to the next, so I could be in a position to get a, a job as a full-time coach. And uh, it's that working with young people and helping them develop, in, you know, in all aspects of their life, really. But that's why swimming for me pressed a lot of my buttons and me, enabled me to kind of pursue a, a career that really I've never had a job in my life for the last forty <laughs> years. You know, I've never done a day's work really in that sense. No matter how many hours you spend doing it, but it's just like a hobby, really. <laughs> so it was, it was an ideal, you know. For me, it was the right fit. I could get up every day, just be myself, just you know, enjoy what I'm doing, as you well know. And uh, you know, okay, for sure you get challenges, but it was never, never, never. There was never any real hassles with it. It was just almost like a natural, uh, a natural progression. And in terms of swimming it per se, obviously it's an all-round sport. It's not seasonal. You're working, you know, 48 weeks a year. You're working with committed, enthusiastic people like yourselves. You know, not everybody has to be, for me, you know, hugely talented or whatever that is, uh, or really, really fast. But it's it's working with those committed people that want to be better, want to be engaged with it all. So that's really what drew me to swimming. Uh, maybe, you know, I can't measure anything like this, whether you talk about this inherent or natural, it wasn't inherent because my folks couldn't swim a stroke. You know, so it's like where it came from, I do not know. But it, yeah. it was just there. And, it, it, you know, it was always there from the, right from the beginning. You know? oh, yeah. yeah, people always ask you what you're going to do when you grow up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they still ask me that. <laughs> my mum used to say, when are you going to get a proper job? So I'm like, <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, like, so, like back in the day when you were coaching age group, they say, drop some kid off at school after the session in the morning and they'd go what do you do for a job i said what do you mean and they go what's your job and i said swimming they said yeah no but what's your proper job i said no that, this is it this is my job <laughs> like they did they did to go like very confused it was like what <laughs> <Swimming>. <laughs> So that was obviously the basis of why you're passionate about it, why you got into it. And you've been so many different places all around the world. I mean, you've even been to the Caribbean and everything. With, with a time, yeah. So, I mean, can you, can you give us a little bit of background on, you know, your coaching career from starting up north after teaching? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a common characteristic going through all the different places that I've been in We've always started from very small beginnings in very poor facilities <laughs> and, and managed to build you know, a really good team within each of those clubs. And it's, now I look back, I'm thinking, it's almost like we get to a level, we get to do something, and then I take another 10 steps back, and then I go and do the same thing somewhere else. And it, so that's a, a common thread in, 
in each of my moves. But people say to me, oh, it's easy for you. You, you, you look, you're lucky, whatever that is. You're in the right place at the right time. You drop into these kind of roles. So things happen to you that anybody else would end up, you know, in the swamp doing that kind of thing or taking those risks. And, uh, and people think that when they look from the outside. But, but really, um, a lot of it is quite planned. So I'm quite thorough years in advance so going through the, the teaching and the and the part-time coaching that i did that for 10 years for pretty much very little remuneration it was like almost voluntary right but it was all geared towards so I was like two years in a club starting from nothing within two years we kind of had national age group medalists and and those that level of swimmer then i moved to a, another club in Sunderland, which was a better club, a, a bigger city program. We had international swimmers, youth internationals, European youth swimmers. Then I moved to Darlington, where we had senior internationals, like Martin Wilby, as you well know, came out of there when they, they were 18. The women's team would win the 4 by 100 women at the, uh, the national championships. And eventually, after that amount of time, I got to a position where I could be a full-time coach. And in 82, I became a full-time coach, went to the Caribbean the first time to an island called Curaçao, which is in the, just off the coast of Venezuela, right down that end of, of the Caribbean. And uh, it's Dutch speaking or Papiamento speaking with English as well. And uh, again, we built from absolutely nothing, and we'll touch on this later, but from absolutely nothing, you know, I quit my teaching job, I quit, blah, 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 and, and Sylvia came with me, she quit her job, right, we're going to the Caribbean, off we go. So we had a good lifestyle in the UK, a nice house and everything, but we just, like, let's do it, off we go. So we go to the Caribbean, quite naive, really, in, in a sense, but back in then, when you're in the early 20s or 30s or whatever, you don't really think, and uh, <clears throat> took a risk, but built a great program there, and, and, and kids went, to the to, to the uh, well on universality but one one of the guys went to the olympics and one of the guys actually went on to that was in 84 in los angeles so i was a coach of the team but he actually i got him a scholarship to the u.s and in seoul in 1988 he actually won the b final of the 100 free hilton woods oh. went to like 50 points but but this kid and i've got a lot of stories and i won't bore you with back but this guy he was in a club in curacao that actually trained in the sea okay and I was looking through the results and he trained in the sea and he was 12. And this is no exaggeration. And he was going 26 to long course for the 53, 10. Wow. It, it was like, well, my word. And he was about, I mean, I was nearly six foot tall then. So by the time he got to 50 or whatever it's 14, 15, he was like six foot four or whatever. You, so I, I took him to the Olympics in uh, Los Angeles and I didn't want them to look silly, you know, like not like Eric the Eel behind everybody. So I said, you've got to finish like three quarters of the way down the, down the thing. And he went, I don't know, something like 53, two or something for the hundred free. So he, he didn't look silly, you know, I mean, he wasn't going to be in the final or anything, but he was solid. And, uh, but then I came back from there and I went to head up the city program in Bradford. And that was like a four lane, 25 meter pool. I had lots of pools in the city, but they were all not great. And again, we started from very small beginnings. One kid went to the nationals and swam the 200 fly before I went. But then there was a deliberate ploy to build that program. And Janine Belton was the youngest swimmer that went to the Olympics in uh, 96. She was only 15. 
So she came out of there. We won the women's, there was some missing because it was Olympic year in 96. The, the, uh, the nationals were won the top women's club because we had this group of girls. And that, again, that was a deliberate kind of um, strategy on my behalf because I thought <clears throat> I want to move on in, in my career and everything else. And that I, if, if, it, if I'm waiting for guys, I'm going to have to wait too long because it's an age group team. How can I do this? I can do it by concentrating on the females because they can be really fast at a young age. <clears throat> and so we built, I used to separate off these, these uh, young females, about 14, 15, 16 year old, 17. And I used to have them in separately and give them individual programs. So I used to do with you guys, spread it out like that. And they became very fast. There was about six of them on youth teams or British teams. And out of that, and off the back of that, then I got the, the, the job at Loughborough really, because I had an Olympian, I had fast women, I had, you know, so we, so I went to Loughborough to start the program there, and then we just went back again to a four-lane 25-yard pool, which was built in 1939, and I'm thinking, oh my word, here I go again, and Mike Perebrun had done a really, really good job with the, with the program, but Mike was a part-time coach, he was doing his MSc or his PhD or whatever it was, and so I was the first full-time coach. And, and we'll talk about that again later on, but it was like the impetus to develop that program from very, again, very, very small beginnings. Um, and then after the Olympics, as you all know, I, I think, well, I've been here a long time, myself and Ben Titley, should we do something different? And then I went to the Caribbean to be the technical director for swimming. So I went back from a powerhouse of pretty much British and world swimming to, to the Cayman Islands down, down to here again, <laughs> to this level with kids that, you know, it had to start off again to try and get swimming going there. And it was a fantastic place, but it just didn't, didn't press my buttons in terms of I missed the performance environment too much. So after a year, I was back at Loughborough in a different role, but I was coaching morning and night again. And within that period of time, and I'm still there now doing coach mentoring, recruiting and admissions, some work for the business school. And uh, yeah, so I'll probably always be there really. But again, each of those teams had that common characteristic of building it, moving and starting again, <laughs> building and moving. The kind of story of my life, really. It goes like this. <laughs> you I mean, I remember when I, when I went, sorry, when I went to, uh, for the interview at Loughborough, that, you know, obviously Bradford had become this quite powerful team right there, particularly on the women's side. And, and Loughborough was a good senior team, but not great, you know. But, Mike did what he could within the resources, of course. Um, but at the interview, the guy, the, one of the questions was, well, you know, you do, 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 you're not a spring chicken anymore. How are you going to cope with these students? What are you going to ask? I said, mate, you know, this was a guy that was about 20 years older than me asking the questions. I said, hey, you know, and he said, well, you won't have any, you won't be on any teams anymore because you won't have any national swimmers. I said, well, I'll start again. I'll do it again. We'll build it again. And he's like, oh, okay. I said, yeah, we'll fire it up again. And they were quite skeptical at the time, but uh, but obviously, you know, history proves itself that we, we did it. But it was, you know, it wasn't easy. And we'll, we'll talk about that later on. But uh, yeah, that, that's a kind of, the, the, the potted history of, of how <laughs> my career has kind of gone, really. History of Ian Armager. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said, um, obviously, like, you upped and left to Curacao with Sylvia. Um, you, yeah. 
you know, after 10 years of teaching and it was quite a risky move. How does Sylvia find it moving about kind of, um, you know, all <laughs> the world? <laughs> Well, I was actually talking to somebody the other day about, you know, when, going back from that bluff brand interview, uh, there was a couple of things there, really. But anyway, so off I go after the interview, <clears throat> and they said, we'll be in touch or something. So I'm driving back, and uh, I get back home, and I, I literally got in the door, and the phone went, <clears throat> and I said, oh, well, I would like to offer you the job. And I'm like, right, yeah, that's great. I'm coming. <laughs> and uh, so I said to Sylvia, oh, we, we, and, and, and she had a really good job in, in like financial services and um, what have you. So uh, she said, oh, that's great. You know, you got the job. Do, 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 do. Said, uh, well, yeah. And then after a while, what, what's the salary? I said, I've no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I figured it would be in a ballpark, you know. Like, well, but I've just got to go there. I just need to be there. It's what you know. It's it's where I need to be. And yeah, uh, yeah fine, okay. <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> it just goes goes on the floor, really. Yeah, she's a flexible <laughs> I have great support, you know, as you well know. <laughs> you said uh, before that um, people say, "Oh, it's easy. It's easy for you." Uh, and I always think that's a really dangerous mindset that people have where they just like, oh, it's easy for them because even yeah. but they don't know like all that hard work you put in. And I think when they say that you were talking about this with Liam the other day, people sort of make excuses before they've done something to excuse that kind of failure, like they make it a little bit easier for themselves. Liam was giving the example of um, someone saying, oh, I'm too short, or the parents saying, oh, they can only get so far because they're not, not very tall, that kind of thing in swimming. But that's the same sort of mindset, I think, with other coaches saying, oh, it's easy for you, you've got all the facilities, you've got this and that. But like you just explained, you didn't start in that. Any, any of your programmes didn't start with good facilities. Obviously, Loughborough, we, we, we got fantastic facilities, but yeah. due to the strength of how well your programme had developed in that, what, oh, was it four lanes, Loughborough before, four lanes, 25? Four lanes, 25 yard. 25 yeah. yards, yeah. Um, <laughs> good times. And I know, yeah. like, once you actually got the Loughborough pool built, you kept a memento of that old, that old pool. <laughs> you, got your, you got your break, didn't you, from the pool? Yeah. The original. Well, yeah, I mean, and that was, the, that was another funny thing about the year because I, one of the, the attractions was I knew they were going to get a pool or there was plans to have a pool. Right. So I thought, oh, eventually I'm gonna, now going to get a great facility, you know. Da, 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 da. And at the interview, I asked the question, you know, when they say, have you got any questions? I said, yeah pool and they go yeah yeah we're getting a pool it's all singing and dancing it's 50 meters it's you know do 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 oh fantastic now if i'd have been smart enough i should have said oh show me where it's being built because in my mind i'm thinking oh i'll come here in may and then a year down the road i'll be moving into a, a great pool well i didn't think of that question show me where it's being built so of course when i rocked up in may and <clears throat> it was a beautiful it was the, you know, the blossom around campus, it was sunny, it was fantastic, there was sports going on. Well, of course, then I got to the pool, which was that four lane 25 yard. And I'm thinking, well, I can manage in here for a few months. The reality was, it was never a done deal about the new pool, right? It was like five years down the road, we get the new pool. <laughs> so for five years, we're in this thing. And uh, when the pool was eventually built, look, 
the ladies in the office got me this. This was a brick from the old pool, the original <laughs> pool of dreams. Yeah, <laughs> they mounted it for me, and I got this present. But, yeah, so we're involved with the, but that that's where there there are no there's no excuses for the facility. The facility doesn't do it. It's the program that you put in place. Hey, again. It's not easy. It is not easy. It was really hard. And sometimes I think, how did we do that? Myself and Ben and Di and all the other backup people that were supportive of it. But we had some, you know, we, we did a really good job in there. And uh, we just had to put up with it. It's what you have. You've got to do it. And when I speak with a business guy, sometimes I use that analogy and say, look, we had this and we had to. It just had to be done. And uh, it's no good you guys exactly what you're saying there joe about some people making excuses or liam said that with the business folks oh, it's no good saying well i haven't got the latest iphone or i haven't got the best computer or i haven't got do 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 i can't be successful within my team in business of managing my team because i haven't got the best technology no you've got to get out and do it for sure the best of things helps but it's not for me, it's it's not essential. It makes life easier and it helps, but you've got to get down to the to the basics of doing it. And yeah. uh, you know, the current hotshot young kid right now, and and there's lots of examples around the world. And I know for some of the swimmers that you deal with on the on your fantastic swim swift elite camps and clinics, that they'll say, you know, oh, we, we've only got a 25 meter pool, or we've only got this, but. But if you look at people like Hotshot Backstroke Girl, Reagan Smith, who is just incredible, you know, world record holder, 15, do, 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 moving on now, 16, 17, trains in a 25-yard pool most of the year. Yeah. Does, doesn't train long course, trains in a 25-yard pool most, most of the year. But gets in there and swims like that. Obviously, she gets exposed to some on camps. But it helps, but it isn't, it isn't vital. It, it's, it's more than that that you put in place. Oh, definitely. I mean, we both came from, I mean, you trained in a 33 and a third yard pool as a kid, I think, yeah. didn't you? And I was in, yeah, uh, one of them was a 25 yard pool that I was in and stuff. And you do at the time kind of think, oh, a, a nicer pool would be good. But at the end of the day, you put in the strokes in just the same as anyone in another sized or different quality pool. So it just the same as you lift in the same weight, it just might not be a really shiny. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It, I mean, I think I think as long as you get the exposure to the to long course racing, you start you know you start building your long course racing for your your, your stroke counts and your rates and your hit, hitting the walls at the right time and your race uh, protocols and strategies. You know, you start off, you come off these little pools like that generally, and you start your first long course, and it's a little bit, mm, and then your next long course you. You, you remember and put things right and then you you know it's, it's more your racing I think yeah. uh, the interesting thing for us is that uh, and I myself and Ben used to talk about this when we moved from the old pool to the new pool the, I think a lot of the, a lot of the women were um, they didn't PB on things like the 53 for about two to three years right. it, it, their, their faster times were done training 25 yards for yeah. speed development and that's why we maintained that combination of short and long course training when we went to the new pool because yeah. all long course we felt would flatten their speed and uh you know it, it, it say like mel ros brett back in the day uh, all, all those guys their, their, their best 50 times were done out of the out of the old pool 
Yeah, I mean, there'll be there'll be a load of science behind like why having the mixture of short and long course is beneficial, uh, particularly for sprinters. Maybe like you say, you don't want to deaden their speed. I'll be honest though, walking into Loughborough Pool when I first came to uni, it is inspirational. Like to have a pool like that, although at the start you think it's not always what you need. It's great, but it, you don't have to have it. But it is inspirational. It does add that extra little bit of I really want to get to that pool and train today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I say yeah, those things help, but they're not the essential. If you've not yeah. got them, you can't just use that as an excuse to not put that effort in or give you that excuse for failing before you start. So for five years at Loughborough, if you didn't have those facilities, how did you, how did you manage to develop such a strong team? What was what were your coaching sort of principles and thoughts that made you guys so successful? Yeah, I mean, again, going back to the, the sort of planning and uh, like vision for the programme, I mean, I actually, I actually wrote down a plan when I got there of what I'm going to do within, you know, four weeks of being here, two months, three months, six months, but one year, two years. So I actually had it written down of, because you know, I like my patterns and plans. So I had things written down for the plan of how the program would go and what I wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, not necessarily related to the swimming per se, and I'll get onto that. But one of the things was I'm the new guy here. I'm going to get to know as many people as possible on this campus for my networking in the different departments and quite often my boss would say how do you know them how do you know them in aeronautical engineering how do you know him and I said oh well yeah because I just go out and I kind of introduce myself or have a coffee with them and uh, and there, that meant that I could then ask them you know oh, I've got swimmers in your class can you do, 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 do. have you got any information on this you're always learning but, yeah. but right from the outset and again um say Mike Perebrun did a fantastic job being a part-time coach and an academic as well and now he's in Singapore doing a fine job but the impression of people looking from outside was a bunch of students who did a bit of swimming right and uh, I said I'm going to change the image of the team it's going to be swimmers who work hard are committed and professional and study also and and that was one of the real keys and with a clear vision for the program, which I think Coach Andy and them, they already have that. So it's gone on all these years. We want All we want you to do is come here, swim as fast as possible, get a good degree and enjoy being here. And that's all. And I wanted everybody to buy into that idea. And uh, what we really did was just create this sort of belief and passion and excitement within the team and a lot of fun. Um, you know, so pe there was this energy when we went to the meet. So there's lots of them, and there was all the rah rah people. Oh, here they are again. So they just used to get in and fire up. And I did learn a lot from them as well because I hadn't worked with seniors of that age before that much, and or at all. So it was it was a kind of a, a two way process here. But we did create this this image of a team that they would just ride the waves of success. You know, it was like creating the norm that when you went to the British Championships, you swam fast or you went to this meet, you swam fast. That's what you did. It was just like, well, of course we do because we're here, we're rested and we're ready and we have this enthusiasm. We have this almost belief, unwavering belief that, yeah, we, we swim fast and people weren't expecting it. And that was the other thing. It's like, oh, well, here they come, bunch of love, you know. And they say, well, 
what do you think they're like? They're not going to go crazy the year because people used to say to me, oh, how do you manage them? They must be out on the town in Sheffield having beer. I said, what do you think? They're, they're, they're professional athletes, these guys. They want us to do the business. And uh, they're in bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> they're pretty boring. You know? <laughs> so, the, 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 you know, we totally changed the image and it was somewhere people wanted to come and be part of because it was fun and it was exciting. Um, and it was fine. Coupled with that, because we had limited facilities, we had to be very innovative with what we were doing. And uh, Ben Titley is a good example. Coach Ben, he, I mean, some of the stuff that he came up with was incredible, fantastic. It brings in great uh, things. Back in those days, uh, I know now you think it's hard to believe, but back then, so now you're talking the mid to late 90s, that nobody was doing land work as such as it is now there was no olympic lifting there was no med ball work going on there was no circuits we brought in all of that stuff people used to ask us to demonstrate our med ball circuits nobody was doing it um heart rate sets nobody was doing that there was a lot of sub max swimming going on and but we had this thing called reverse periodization we didn't know the name of it somebody told us that this is what you're doing we just experimented with this like speed up so if somebody's fast you then build on the endurance rather than in the old days it was almost like a um an anomaly they used to call this like speed through endurance <laughs> you know, speed through endurance they would they would maybe write off people that were really fast on the 50 oh, they just swim the 50 it's too late for them to do they should have done the base work well whereas we thought no they're fast let's build on the speed and james gibson's a classic example of that at 18 he's was like really really fast breaststroke guy well he wasn't really fast but he he, he could swim a fast a fast 50 you know he could swim fast so then we just we played on that strength of his and um with the females for example nobody was doing olympic lifting then and i'm thinking in those days nobody was going uh, sub 60 for the 100 fly women and i'm thinking well i can coach plenty of people that swim 59 for the 100 fly and I know this sounds very simple, right? But what's the difference? Well, these guys happen to be male. Well, what's the difference then? They're more powerful. They're you know, do-do-do-do. All right. They do the same training. Like women are coming twice a day doing, you know, but they don't swim 59 for the 100 fly. Now, why is that? What am I missing here? So, uh, I, you know, I talked to the track and field guys. I talked to the strength and conditioning guys. And I showed them, like, videos of, the Olympic finalists or world finalists for the women's hundred fly. And I looked at the, and now again, it's not all, not all by any means, but generally they, they look a certain way. And I said, I need the women on this team to look like that, <laughs> you know, approximate to this. So that's when we brought in Olympic lifting, strength, power, speed work, um, complex training to develop speed and power. And everybody used to comment and people came up like Chris Nesbitt, who was from Port now, now in Australia, fantastic coach. He came up to see what was going on and everybody's going, Oh yeah, women are absolutely ripped. How, you know, how do you, and I'm like, Oh yeah, right. And sure enough, we had like three that could go sub 60 for a hundred fly within about six months. And, it, it, and nobody was going under 60 and that absolutely flew, you know, and I was like, Whoa, my word, what's happening there. So it started to be a, a discussion point with the uh, with everybody else and everybody else started bringing in these kind of things to our program so to cut a long story short we we had a poor facility 
but we maximized what was going on and and then we realized where our weaknesses were and we were innovative we were kind of after each meet we reflected on what was going off how we could do things better and uh people would look from the outside thinking oh they're doing great and we were thinking we need to be better than this we need to move this on we need to you know something like therese alsam at the time could have swum olympic medalist and world record order could have swum anywhere in the world great pools in california whatever you want and decide to swim in Loughborough to a fully 25 yard pool because yeah. of the program that we had and because of the atmosphere and the culture and uh, and all of those things you know that that so that's a quite an interesting development i think so for the for the kids or coaches or the parents of the clubs that you're looking at it can be done in a in a, a small facility you just have to create that belief and energy within the within the program and it's consistency like every day you know believing that you can do it and not beating yourself down it wasn't yeah. easy by any means it wasn't easy it was we used to have to split the group and have so some some days myself and ben were spending like we're doing two hours two hours in the morning that's four then we're doing two and two at night so we're doing eight hours on deck <laughs> like five days and then another <laughs> we're, we're absolutely dead and then because he had the second group if you want to call it he had some fantastic swimmers he then had to be very innovative with his land work because say james was only gibson was only doing like thirty-five thousand yards a week or thirty thousand, but he supplemented and complemented that with this really well designed land program you know so you could yeah. you have to look at what you'd need for your program to achieve the results that you want to do yeah i remember when i joined the team which is back in like 2003 so the, the new pool had just opened but we were doing that reverse periodization like you said so we had like well you had like 1500 swimmers mm -hmm. in sprint sessions and like doing dive 15 meters and to me coming from everything i'd seen i was like well this is bizarre i don't get it but it's absolutely fantastic you know, obviously people were going fast so yeah it, at the time i mean now it probably seems a little bit more uh the norm to people that everybody does weight training olympic lifting and spit that but back mm -hmm. then it did seem like completely like off the wall um but obviously it was getting the results i mean uh, the, a couple of things on that one is uh that the coach ben at that time went to do his his esa qualifications for his coaching certification and he failed his land conditioning right he right. failed him on land conditioning and i said how can you possibly fail him on land conditioning look how fast these guys look at them and they go but he's not he's not sticking to the textbook i said well the textbook's out of date man. Yeah. He, he's way ahead of that you know yeah. but then he had to go a bit like a driving test then he had to go back and redo it but good according to the protocols and again joe when you when you started up and, and i use the analogy and i'm not saying that you you couldn't have been better doing it in a better way but it's what we did and it's how it was right and you from fantastic and achieved great results but i often say to people that for yourself you, you never swam the two 200 fly work in training you didn't swim sets of 200 fly you swam a great 400 medley you know we're pretty much pretty much on world record short course to set a world record short course uh, in the right circumstances but you never swam straight 400 ims it was all looking at the components of the event and what you required to swim those events. And Amy had what we thought was necessary for her to swim the 50 and the 100 free and what you needed to swim the 200 and 400. But you know, you didn't need 100K of submax swimming. You needed 
the specificity for what you are trying to achieve for those events. Because I, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but you know, if I'm telling you to swim 80, 90 k a week, you'd probably get bored off your trolleys and say, oh, yes, I had this. You know, this is not what I'm about. I want to try some different things. Not yeah. that you wouldn't do it if you thought it was necessary or if somebody really was passionate about it. But, but it, it's that sort of thing that we, we did try to put in place. Yeah, sorry, I was just gonna, I was thinking as well, like one of the big things you touched on there for me was that raising of expectations. So I think like we see this with a lot of, uh, we work with a lot of different clubs all around the world, really. And obviously through our own background as well, you sometimes see people that seem to get comfortable at a certain level. It's like you just said there with Benny looking at the textbook. Well, this is what we do. This is the way we do it. This is the way we've always done it. Whereas what we were doing when I moved with you guys, it became a lot more enjoyable because the whole team seemed to just be geared. We spoke about this in his own. The whole team just seemed to be geared with that one purpose, that one goal of swim fast. I remember when I came to Loughborough, you sort of sold me on the idea, like you said before, you can get swim fast, good degree, have a good time. And you said you can um, swim fast, study hard, or party hard. You can do two out of three well. So don't pick the ones you want to do and then get back to me kind of thing. And I yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for like you've said, creating that team atmosphere, um, you've got to create an energy and having that kind of holistic approach, you know, everyone's a little bit different, especially, you know, in a senior program like what you were building in Loughborough is really important. And you do come across loads of different personalities. And I'm sure you've come across people who you can see that they could do maybe more than what they believe they could do. Um, whether it's talent or, you know, they've got the grit or whatever it is, but sometimes their head isn't quite where yours is at um, with, you know, where you think you could take them. And like, we know you've come across people like that in the past. I mean, creating that atmosphere and getting the right fit between coach and athlete is, you know, really important to have that coach athlete relationship. I mean, how important is that? Do you think? For me, that's absolutely crucial. You know, it, I mean, what you do going up and down the pool and the sets and the different ways of going up and down the pool, that's the easy bit, okay? So, in my opinion, you can do it in lots of different ways. There's many ways to do it, and there's lots of successful coaches that do it in all sorts of different ways. But if you don't have the relationship between you and the athlete and the trust and the belief in each other, then it, it's not going to work. It's absolutely the key to the whole thing for me. Coach-athlete relationship is, I mean, is, is vitally, vitally important which then enables you to raise the expectations because if you have that very good relationship with a person, then they will believe, you know, that you have this total belief in them. It's not a criticism. It's like, you can, I really believe that, you know, you can be way better than you are. This is where we're going. And it's never a criticism. It's just a belief. And, you know, if the coach strongly believes it, um, the, you know, they will then respond and you can lift them to the next level and the next level. It has to be realistic and they have to be able to identify with it. So it's no good having the carrot too far from the donkey. You could do it in stages and build, build that confidence. So yeah, we've done that stepping stone. Now what about this one? Do you think we could do this? So it's no good saying, you know, I, I don't know, somebody like yourself, Amy, if you're swimming, 62 for the 103 well i'm going to get you swimming 53 in a year's time or you're going to go to the olympics because it's too far away from but then they see that you know what 
once they get immersed within their team that when they see people doing it it's easier because they can identify that yes well women do swim that fast or well i might not swim 53 but i can swim 56 because anybody in this pool pretty much gets in and does that so you soon internalize that but the relationship with the coach is is is, is crucial and in each of those programs that we mentioned before that's what we took to the program i think and going back to curacao it was a small island at that time it was isolated in the caribbean they had no idea what went off in the rest of the world they did not know because there wasn't internet and there wasn't you know so what i used to do was feed them information about i used to put us top 16 rankings age group kids this is what 12 year old kids do this is what this is what they do and all of a sudden they started to think oh well, why am i swimming this slow I, I can do this i can do that honestly within within two years within a year to two years they were starting to swim those kind of times and people were remarking within that area and that wasn't necessarily the work that we're doing up and down the pool it was it was more mindset and working on that and and it but you have to be consistent at it and you have to be relentless of sending the message um and Eddie Jones with England Rugby, he would say he changed mindset, but only by reinforcing it every day, every day. We're going to be one of the best teams in the world. You can do this. We can do this. You know, you who's that kind of belief of where the, where their performances can go. And um, I, I did the same in Loughborough because I think the relays were always good because they had lots of seniors. We, I think on an individual, we had like say one girl went to the, British Championships won a bronze medal in the 50 back, something like that. I used to I used to publish things like the top 100 rankings in the world, being the top 100, and I used to flag them up on the notice board. So and so, oh well done, you you're now ranked number 75 in the two fly or whatever it is. Yeah. So they started internalized world rankings. Then all of a sudden, the women's really started moving up. And okay, it was it was a snapshot in a period of time. But I'd go, hey, look at this world rankings this month. Loughborough University is ahead of Canada. It's it's number two in the world on the women's four by hundred. So they were kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they got this kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the belief that the program is moving places. And so yeah. you you were you were sowing those seeds all all of the time. And when I went to Cayman, and you came there as well, and you saw what the swimming was like. And Again, it's a never a criticism of the guys. It's a belief, and I, I, I distinctly remember talking to the the parents and the and the group, and I've and I've used this with a couple of clubs in the past. Said, look, because attendance was not their problem, they would swim eight times a week, nine times a week, ten times a week. And I said to them, guys, attendance is not the problem. I I do not know how you train as much and swim as slow. <laughs> I just don't know how you do it. It's a physical impossibility. <laughs> You know, how you actually go to the pool as much in a week and swim that slow. <laughs> it's because the expectations were too low. Yeah. <laughs> the expectations were too low because they over-rewarded mediocrity. So it's like, well, they had national teams and they were getting on national teams by swimming really slow. So I brought in qualifying times. Again, nothing ridiculous. And at first, people thought anything that I was putting down was ridiculous. <laughs> it wasn't. And it, it said, oh, well, they never swim that fast. That's ridiculous. They can't swim that fast. Do, 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 do. And I used to say, 
we're only a small country, we're a small population, like a small club. We can't yeah. possibly swim that fast. I said, here, I'm not expecting you to swim like the fastest, fastest kid in the world at 12 in the US. I'm not. I'm just saying these are reasonable, normal kind of times that normal kids do. And I, and I used to say, hey, think about school. Are you telling me when you send your kid to school, you expect them to be as good in maths as a kid in France at 12? You know, a normal school kid in France. Well, yeah. yeah. But why don't you expect them to be able to swim as good as a normal 12-year-old swimmer in France? Not, not the national champion, but a normal kid that finishes 10th or 8th in the final at the 12-year-old's 100 breast. You know, yeah. that, that's not impossible. And so they, all, they started to internalize this a little bit as well. And, and all of a sudden, they started to, the bar was lifted and they started to raise their game. And they started, to, you know, if you just think, if you just accept it, well, that's fine. Oh, we'll take you to, you know. And I had a massive bust up with the um, Olympic Federation out there because, you know, this universality thing. They said, oh, we're going to send, send something. I said, no. Oh, no, the Worlds it was. It was with FINA as well. And they said, oh, you've got to send somebody to the Worlds. I said, we're not sending anybody. What, why not? Because they're not good enough. So we'll send them when they can do the times. Oh, but you've got it because they want to see, oh, we've got 160 countries competing in the FINA World Championships, right? You, you know, the guys that are swimming two minutes, two and a half minutes for the 100 free or something. Because they like to see, oh, we've got somebody from Botswana already. And I'm not knocking Botswana. Right? But the, so they, they bring in those kind of, because they like that. And I said, this is not a good for the swimmer, their development, and it's not good for Cayman swimming long-term development because you, they're getting a chance to go to the Worlds. They think it's great. They get there. They'll end up in lane eight. They're 30 metres behind. They look ridiculous, and they get a very poor experience from it. So we're not doing it. And they then complained to the government, and it went on and on and on. Fortunately, the Federation did back me and supported me, and so we didn't send anybody. I got a letter from some big dude in FINA and saying, you know, do, 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 do. and uh, I said, it's not happening. So it, we, we stuck to, the, to our guns, and now the swimming there is, is very good. And we did a, you know, exactly the same wherever I've been with some clubs I've worked with here, was putting in motivational times, you know, bronze, silver and gold times, uh, five star, four star, three star, whatever it's going to be. So yeah. each kid has their own Olympics and can achieve, but, but they're you know, within reason and within achievable times, not ridiculous times. And uh, I think we did talk about this on the last little clinic that we did with you that I did with you guys that you know we see some fantastic swimmers come there little swimmers that could be way faster than they are but but they just don't and I'm not knocking the coaches because sometimes the coach education doesn't knock down as far as it could um or should and uh so it's unfortunate that they're maybe not getting the kind of work that they need to achieve those times or it might just be lifting mindset lifting uh, expectation, which is, you know, raising the bar at all the times. And that's, I think that's really, really important. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a few things that I'd kind of pull out of what you've said there that I think are really important. And one is coach and athlete having a common goal. Um, so, you know, if the athlete's goal is to, to do that, you, kind of an agreed goal, if you like, like you say, a realistic one, but you need then with that common goal in mind, that athlete to, to trust you as a coach and believe in what they're doing with you. And I think 
to have that coach-athlete relationship being really strong, especially when you were starting all these new innovative ideas at Loughborough, that had to be there because if it wasn't, you know, they might just think, well, no one else is doing this. You know, what, why are we? I'm not sure about this. And they've got to trust you. They've got to believe you to actually go forwards with that, towards that common goal. And like you said, with the, um, just creating that atmosphere, that energy, that vibe, happy swimmers are fast swimmers, <laughs> like you say, like Liam always says. And so, you, you know, if you've not quite got that coach-athlete relationship there, if you as a coach aren't sure what makes that individual tick, you may not be quite getting everything out of them because they're not maybe just even enjoying it as much as they could do. So yeah, there's, there's loads of different things in there, but those are the three big ones I kind of, I kind of pulled out. Yeah, I remember uh, you having a few intelligent chats with me um, <laughs> <laughs> around a lot of that stuff and around like where I was looking. And it's like you said, so during that, that last talk that you can see probably further than some of your athletes. You can see the potential in them that they maybe aren't aware of themselves. And um, yeah, I'm obviously going to watch the language on here, but um, you you weren't afraid to tell me when things weren't good enough. Like that's that's not right. That's uh, you know, pull your finger. That was, and get that was because, but that was because of the belief that I had of how fast you could go, where you could go, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, you remember that one at the world. I could have been in there. Well, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. Well, you weren't even in the race. <laughs> but yeah, you could have been. But you know, so that that yes, those sort of things. But I think it's consistency as well. I mean, well, not, I, I believe it's consistency as well. It's relentless pursuit. You can't take your foot off the gas. Have to be pursuing this relentlessly, and you only build this trust by the in my opinion, having that consistency of approach, day in, day out, session in, session out, and not sitting back, not coasting it, not relaxing it, doing the work and from both sides, and from the coach, because you might, well, I'm doing all of this, and he's telling me to do this, do, 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 or, or helping me do this, and he, you know, he's off on the golf course or something. Now, I know, that, you know, that's just, this is just my way, and there's lots of ways to do it, other people say, oh, well-being of the coach and everything else but I you know I never had a problem with that I'd rather be at the pool <laughs> but, but it's uh it is that consistency and drive and belief uh, uh, Bill Streetham used to say that the um the the experience knowledge of the coach needs to be ahead of that of the athlete so you know where you're going like you're like driving the bus and you know which route you're going on or where you're going not to say that there shouldn't be input from the athlete of course but Generally, the coach is driving it and leading it, and you know, um, it's about the athlete, it's that old, you know, athlete centered, as they say, and you're putting things in place and, and everything else. And of course, you have the discussions as they get older, but at the end of it, you have that vision that they might not have, or that belief that they might not have, and it's recognizing, you know, the, the, the individual differences within the athlete and learning which buttons are the right buttons to press and who needs a kick of the pants and who needs an arm around the shoulder. And, and at what point, because somebody needs a kick of the pants one time might need an arm around the shoulder another time. And uh, you don't get it right all the time. You make mistakes for sure. Um, but you know, you just have to learn with it and try your best. But the key is the, the relationship that you have with the athlete. So like over time, obviously, like you said, things are going to change over time. You're going to, develop and adapt your ideas as you go along. Um, 
how much have you had to change the sort of way you would either run those sessions in the pool, like the nuts and bolts, the, the lens you're doing, and maybe the way you approach those individual relationships with the athletes? Like, your, did you set off just being like, no, oh, this is the way we're going to do it, or, or did you change over time? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it's very much about professional development. I know it sounds cliched, but and I, we were talk, I was talking about this the other day with Emma Collins, like guys at Mount Kelly, in that right from the beginning, and, and, and Martin Wilby, who obviously you know well, and I used to coach back in the day when I was at Darlington, he was only 18 years old. And we're, he mentioned something the other day that, you know, when he was swimming, he said, you're the only guy that I know takes his holidays and goes to Florida, gets a car and goes to all the swimming programs of Florida for his holidays and spends two days here and spends two, and ends up at the University of Florida in Gainesville, spends time there. And uh, I was always kind of seeking out, you know, I'd like to go and see, I've looked at this already, even now, of where Reagan Smith, where somebody else trains all these hotshot young US kids, but unfortunately they're spread out in all different places so that it's difficult because you'd be flying from one to the other. You wouldn't be able to go a nice smooth journey, say like up the coast of Florida um, or California. And uh, in, in 2004, when I was in Athens for the Olympics, it, at that meet, the uh, men's 4x100 relay, the uh, South African relay absolutely flew. They smashed the world record, they blew the Americans out of the pool. And people were like, my word, what's going on here? And I'm thinking, well, my, what's going on here? And I really was into kind of sprint, sprint swimming at that point, freestyle, sprint freestyle. I was looking at new ways and new things to do, uh, develop the athletes. And I thought, oh, I wonder where they swim. And I looked at it, and the majority of the team were at the University of Arizona at that time under Frank Bush. So I, and I, I didn't know Frank Bush from Adam, basically. Anyway, I, I sent him a message and said, oh, Frank, I'm Ian, da 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 da, da. Is it, well, oh, I think I talked to him at the meet. Is there any chance I could come to visit your program? He said, yeah, no problem. So I got a flight, I got a car, I booked an hotel, paid for by myself because I wanted to do it, right? I had to do that. I was lucky I could just, but I would spend my money doing that. And I spent a week there and I went morning, afternoon, morning, afternoon, all the workouts, watching these guys, talking to the coaches, finding out what I thought. Of course, they're talented individuals and they might be special, but is there something that I can take back? And I, and I got some ideas and I went back to Dr. Henrik Nekome, who was uh, head of sports science and medicine at the time and a well-respected academic in sprint exercise and talked to him. And I said, look, Henrik, I've seen this and I'm not sure what's going on in this, this kind of work. And he said, well, you're doing something similar. You're doing speed development, but what they're doing is power development. And I said, oh, okay. So he said, if you do, so then I adjusted my program to, to have like a power development phase and a speed development phase in the pool and on land. Yeah. And, uh, but going back to your point, Amy and Joe about, Bringing, taking the swimmers with you, I would come back and I'd say, look, guys, I've seen this. I think this would work. Henrik's given us some information. I think if we incorporate this, we can get a little bit more of a tweak on the program. And, uh, and again, it's not change for change sake, but each, at the beginning of each cycle, I'd think, I went to, uh, where did I go? Somewhere else to, to watch some, some, some swimming. 
and they were doing a lot of kick sets. And at that time, I wasn't really into kick sets. I wasn't doing much of kick sets. And I, I saw them doing these kick sets, and I talked about it, and I thought, hmm. So we'll experiment. I said, guys, last year, I don't think we did enough kick. I'm going to put these sets in. And they responded to that and did, you know, did real well. Some people who couldn't do it at all, I just said, hey, we'll flung a dead horse here. <laughs> they have to do something different doing this. Put the fins on. <laughs> but you know, keep the fins on. But Amy, but other people that could do it within, you know, you would incorporate that. So they yeah. knew there was a change for the sake of it. And I think, again, Amy, going back to yourself and going back to some other sprint women that I had, and you were a good workout swimmer. And again, sprint people, you can have variations as you can in any strokes that train in different ways. And, uh, and sometimes the sprint guys are not wanting to crank out, I don't know, 10-200s freestyle or something, or threshold sets. Now, again, people have different models, but my model is to have a bit of that. And I'm saying, oh, well, you know, Amy's 21 years old. She, she's got enough aerobic endurance to swim around the world. She, what she needs to be is strong, powerful, and be able to move fast. She only swims for 50-odd seconds. Um, and some of that's pushing off and diving in. So, therefore... She doesn't need, you know, 60K of submax swimming. She needs to be powerful and strong. And but my thinking would be, you need a little bit of that to keep it topped up. And if I explain, Amy, I know you're not going to like this, but it's good for you. No, I don't know. But that old phrase. But I really think that you need a bit of this. Generally, the guys will do that. Say, I know you don't like it, but I really think that you need some of that. But but it's not every day. I'm only going to do this once a week because I think you need this. The other time we will do this. Now for the sprint guys, after uh, and going back to James Gibson's days, and uh, as you're very friendly with Liam, as you well know, that you know people say, oh yeah, and it's not that they don't do a lot of work. You know, they spend a lot of time trying to swim that fast. They don't try to a lot of meters trying to swim that fast, but they spend a lot of time trying to swim that fast. As Usain Bolt will spend a lot of time trying to run 9.5 for the 100 meters. He wouldn't spend, you know, 10, 400s on the track. He wouldn't spend a lot of distance, but he'd spend a lot of time trying to swim that fast, uh, run that fast, as you would for your sprinting. And what Joe needs for two fly or four IM, you know, hopefully he would get that. So it is being innovative in what, you, of what you're doing. And, uh, and trying to bring in things that are specific to the person. Of course, with the little kids in the clubs, they do general work, but they can then adjust the session as well. So if you've got a little, I remember going to a coach, seeing a coach, and he had a new kid who was very good at sprinting, right? And he was giving them the set, and he said, oh, this is no good for her. She can't do this. And I'm thinking, well, why, why are you giving it to her then? Because it's a waste of half an hour right here, because the set was half an hour long. I think, yeah. well, why is she doing it? Well, yeah, everybody's doing it. I said, well, why don't you have her do the set, but do it, stick some fins on and go, I don't know, it was hundreds. 75 control, last fast, 25, breathing twice at this stroke rate. All right. And she can go off the same turnaround. She could do the same thing. You know, she could do the same set. It's easy for your organizational qualities, yeah. but you, uh, oh, I never thought of that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So she feels better. He feels better. It's more beneficial. So it's yeah. looking at the person. It's going back to that thing 
which is very key to my kind of philosophy about coaching the person and looking at what what's the requirements and the components of the event yeah. building the jigsaw for performance of putting all these buttons together and Joe, i wish i could have done some of your backstroke and everybody the best people in the world tried but they could never fix it me <laughs> i have nightmares about it and so do you i know <laughs> That's true. What I was going to ask, based off the back of that, it made me think because, uh, like, going out and visiting Arizona, visiting all these programs, building that coach network, all sounds like fantastic stuff. But you ever in danger of confusing yourself? So sometimes think for for coaches and athletes that are trying to choose a new program, maybe they're looking at these different programs, and like we said, there's all different ways and means, not just one way to get from many many different ways. So. If you've got your coaching philosophies, is there an idea of maybe just putting the blinkers on, ignoring outside influences, and just sticking to this? Or should you always be open to new ideas, or are you going to confuse yourself a little bit there? Like, How do you get that balance right? Yeah, I, I think when you first start out as a coach, you, you end up looking at lots of things, and you get more confused as you go along. Yeah. You, think, you get bombarded with stuff and thoughts, and you're not sure of what your model and your style is, and eventually you will figure that out. It's then that you start making little tweaks. And, you know, going back to that Arizona story, it was like, well, I want to go for a specific reason. I want to say something that I can resonate with, and I needed a reason of why. That, that, that was something that I thought about, but I needed to have confirmation of what that was doing, why was it just that they were fast anyway or was it to do with this development and uh so then i would consult maybe an expert in the field now not everybody has to go off to uh, arizona or wherever it's going to be they could go to programs in this country and go and see and with the younger coaches i say that don't just go to conferences because coaches will put stuff up there and it'll sound fantastic and it's the ideal but the reality is that's not what's going off in their own programs. You need to go and stand there and see what's going on to learn and take things away from it. You don't chuck everything you do because obviously they, you, you're doing some good things and young coaches are doing some great things. You've got to have your own mindset as well. But there might be something that resonates with you. And it might not be just in swimming. It could be within other sports. Because going back to the, um, you know, back to the old pool i used to share an office with the coaches were together and i used to sit next to uh, dave redden who was head of sports science at the london olympics uh, he was ahead of the whole thing sports science and medicine at the olympics and dave then went to work with um the fa and so on he was a, a young uh, msc person incredible intellect but very very good and i said dave i used to sit next to him and he was on another planet in terms of scientific knowledge to me. But I said, Dave, can you tell me about this? Can you tell me about what, what do you think of this? Or the track and field coach, what do you think about this? How, how should I develop? What are you thinking? So I would always take on board these kind of ideas. But then I think you have got to have a filter to say, all right, I'm not going to do all this now because I've seen somebody else do it. Well, You've got to incorporate because the swimmers will go, oh, he's been on another course or he's been on a visit. He's going to change the lot. And then you suddenly change everything. Whereas if you come with a reason um, and then they'll, they'll think, yeah, let's try a bit of this. And don't be frightened at the end of it to say, ah, that was rubbish. It didn't work. We're not doing that anymore. It yeah. didn't work. We're going to go back to doing this because we think that this works. 
and we were challenged a lot of the time so it had to be very not to say that we knew everything because we, we never did but people used to challenge us all the time say ah that's no good that love for program they don't do 70k a week they don't do 80k a week it's not right it's no good and i go hey it might not be any good but they beat yours <laughs> so, you know that love and kindness that's rubbish yeah well that might not be you know but they beat yours maybe she try some um but we used to get that all the time it was a national press at one point ah, the, you know the corridors of loughborough sport rock with a voice of so-and-so giving them chip for this and that james gibson he's useless he always falls at the back end of the 100 breaststroke what happened when he got 70k a week you flatly speed he couldn't couldn't even sprint very fast so he fell out the front end of the front of the, <laughs> never mind the back end he was way behind so it didn't matter whether he fell out <laughs> so it, it, it is being sort of sticking to your principles really and coming up with, and eventually the young coaches will they will formulate those ideas i think within their yeah. model and their style <laughs> yeah definitely it just takes a bit of time doesn't it to kind of yeah. realize what works for you and your swimmers at the time as well when, when the you know going back to that thing of when will be said oh you went on your holidays to um to flora and i remember I, w I was quite naive and i went then and i was very inexperienced and i went to these programs and i went to i'll not say the name of it but i went to this one program right they had a fantastic pool. If I died and got to heaven, man, that was that's where my job would be. It was on the, I mean, the ocean was like over the, the ocean was up that, that side of the road with a beautiful beach. It was outdoors. It was 10 lane 50. It was, and I had another one, 50 meters. It was two 10 lane 50s or something. And I went there and there was all these little kids and there was a huge good program. All these kids piled in and they were swimming widths, 25 yards, because it was 25 yards across. It was 16 lanes, 25 yards in the pool. There was a, X number of coaches on the deck and it was all these little kids right and i'm thinking it's absolute chaos i'm thinking and then i then then i i was saying oh how fast, how fast is that kid and they were telling me these times that these kids were doing and i'm like what how how and i'm thinking and you know okay i was very young and i'm thinking I'm, I'm better than these guys i can do a better you know i can coach better than these guys it, it was absolute chaos but the kids were really fast and that's what that's what got me thinking about this culture and mindset thing because in the US it was like well it was almost to my mind it was easy to get them to swim fast because the whole culture was like that because it was in this environment of you had to go fast to survive because right. this was the norm this is what kids did they went that fast so I came back with this idea that well it's just this expectation, it's belief. You just, yeah, as long as you do something half decent in the pool, <laughs> that you, you, you know, you have this culture where, yes, they can do, you know, they can swim these speeds. And, and my philosophy pretty much changed right then, you know, like, yeah, that, this is what I'm gonna do from now on. I'm gonna have this mindset thing. I'm gonna concentrate on this and believe that it was, it was a kind of a light bulb moment for me, really. It wasn't what they were doing because I wouldn't, wouldn't be taking that from the program, but it was how fast they were going. It's like, yeah. what? It was, it was really eye-opening to be honest, back then. <laughs> that's brilliant, that's really, really good. And that's how I felt when I came to Loughborough, that like I was just completely out of my depth. And that survival you just mentioned there, I had to go fast to survive. So I was just, <laughs> just trying to keep up with the squad. And just by doing that, I, you know, in that environment, everybody was trying to go quick. It made me go a lot faster by like one, two years yep. in the program. My times had dropped loads. 
And I never feel like I'd done anything other than just try to keep up. <laughs> um, yep. It was really, really, really good. I mean, so you, like you said, you've been all over the world coaching, um, lots of different places. I mean, how do they differ? Have you got a favourite place, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're all different. We've, we've been all over the place. And I was just talking about this with Sylvia before that, and it's not so much because all of those places, it's more the experience experiences you have when you're there and the people that you meet. I know that sounds a little bit corny, but it is true, you know, and of course the environment helps. And each of those places have been really, really good experiences and really good places to be. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I could live almost anywhere, but as long as I had, you know, swimming, <laughs> swimming in that. <laughs> so, well, of course, it's nice. And, and Cayman was beautiful and it's sunny and the lifestyle. But obviously, and it, the people were fantastic. And, you know, yeah, pretty much paradise, right? But the swimming was right for me. Everything else, every other button was pressed. It was nice. Curacao, at my stage of life, was fantastic as well. It was the Caribbean. It was a people. It was, you know, so I... So there's lots and lots of different places. My, my ambition uh, for quite some time was to, to work in the U.S., to live in the U.S. And again, I know there's some, a massive difference between the places. I didn't want to end up in the boonies somewhere in, you know, that, uh, I know that, right? Or really industrial towns, I know that. But in my mind, it was like easier to produce fast swimmers. And that was what my aim was because of that thing we just said before that, it's almost like success and how fast they go as part of the culture and the belief that they have. And, and, I, and I, want, I wanted to coach there several times and had the opportunity a couple of times, but it just wasn't right, didn't fit with my stage of development right then that I, I kind of turned those opportunities down. And, um, and in hindsight, it was the right decision at the time. and It, it was probably the right decision long-term. So, and I'm not answering your question really, but I'm kind of saying there are lots of great places in the world to, to, to live and work as long as you're passionate and enjoy what you're doing and the experiences are fantastic. Um, but obviously, Loughborough is, <laughs> you can compare it with Caribbean, but, but, but Loughborough is for me, like the fit with me, senior swimming, that performance environment, and, and I'm probably, again, about, I don't, it, it, it's not necessarily working with all big hitters. I, I'm more, I like to see this development and bring people through from, from the small beginnings to be, like the programs, I like to do that. I like to see that, of how fast that's the satisfaction I get. And I like to see people being successful afterwards and, you know, keeping in touch with them and doing great things because I'm totally oblivious only recently and that is it's honest only recently have I really come to terms or been aware of the impact or the impression that I've had on those people I, I had no idea it's like you know going back to Cayman when I left I got these letters that were incredible and I'm thinking well I've hardly had any contact with them you know and like these people now that, you know, 10 years down the road, they're writing, you've no idea what, uh, and I haven't, I, I hadn't, you know, I'm like, it almost brings a tear to me. <laughs> I'm like, what? And only now I'm realizing that, that that kind of relationship that we built in those, in the program. So Loughborough to me 
it's almost like purple runs through here and it's it's not it's never about the money it was about the, doing the job and uh, a couple of things like a young coach said to me the other day with all this uncertainty we have right now and the challenging times but he 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 amongst his friends that are not coaches the others are not coaches they find it weird that he wants to get back to work they don't they don't want to get back to work but he really wants to get back to work because he's invested in what he does he, i can't wait to get back on the deck i can't wait to get coaching i can't wait to do that you know and um again the the, the you know it, it's not about the money and, and i've been well looked after i, I no qualms about that you know they looked after me well but if somebody said to me i'll give you a million pounds if you don't set a foot in Loughborough Pool or Loughborough University ever again, I'll say no. <laughs> I, I, I can't do that. I have to, you know, it's, you might say, you've got a problem. <laughs> but it, it, you know, that is the fit for me. I'm very, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, it presses all my buttons really because senior swimming, the senior environment, and again, they don't have to be all world-class swimmers. I like to bring, to take people to their first nationals or their first Olympic trials or a qualifying time or their, you know, their, their B final or whatever it's going to be. I like, that's what I like. And then I like afterwards to see where they go in life and how they do things. Um, yeah. It's like, I'm the dad, <laughs> I'm the proud dad. Oh yeah. They've done, they've done great. They've done great. And, I, and I'll do anything to help them achieve those things albeit anything you know we talk about a holistic approach anything that i can help them with in any way i'll try to do it if i can and uh you know that, that that's basically me really yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, i mean it certainly wasn't difficult to um round up loads of people for your leaving do before you <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah everyone was totally in for that from years and years back from all over the place as well you see that was an example story. it was like that was an example and i know you were instrumental in that and you did all of that right but like it was absolutely i mean i don't think it's ever been done before or since or you know ever something of that degree and some things that um kind of like little nudges you know things that happen it's like oh or oh, oh, when you will remember him but going back professor Sir david wallace who was the vice chancellor who, who was very instrumental in um, you know, all the facilities and the development and the pool. I mean, I remember where the, I sent a message once because I was, we were quite friendly, if you want to say, but I mean, he was the boss of extraordinary proportions and it, he was like, whatever he was, president or secretary of the Royal Society for Science, so he's another planet intellectually than me. But he, we got on real well, you know, and I, I came back from uh, somewhere once or an article, I said, David, the, 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 the basketball, no, the football coach at the University of Florida earns 10 times more than the president of the United States. And he said back, Ian, very nice. Don't get any bright ideas. <laughs> I said, oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> but, but, so, you know, but for him, they asked me to do a citation that he's leaving to, you know, because the vice chancellors have a period of time when they have to do it. And I'm like, hang on, <laughs> you know, I'm the blooming swim coach here. And you're asking me, with all these academics and all these massive hitters on campus, you're asking me to do, to say something about David Wallace leaving the university. <laughs> this kid from Newcastle that happens to swim, all of a sudden, 
you know, you're doing this. And I'm like, well, how did that happen? You know, and these things that have happened to me all along the line, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to award you the university medal for great service to the university. I'm like, all I do is get up every day and enjoy myself and get guys going up and down a pool as fast as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like you were were saying, like coaches have got, they've got a really important role. Like like you said before, coaches think it's just about setting some sets and kids go up and down and fast where... That's not really the job. That's a small part of what your job actually is. And, and that holistic approach and basically boiling all the way down, simplifying it, happy swimmers are fast swimmers. And like you said, you do whatever it takes to get happy swimmers. And that, that's a lot more complicated than it can sound. So, yeah, I think everybody that like we've ever worked with, like we just said there, living do, guys you're doing citations for, they all know what you do for that. And that's what's made these programs you've worked in be so successful. I don't know, it's great. I mean, oh, we've had a great chat, you know, so we, we've got a long time, but you know, yeah. I totally get excited and talk a lot, but you knew that when you said you know, like <laughs> Well, yeah, we know you could talk swimming all day and like there's, there's so many messages in there for swimmers, parents, coaches, absolutely everybody. Um so I think we'll probably get you back on some other time because there's lots of Oh great. Hey guys, keep doing what you're doing, it's fantastic. And then you know, now and then do bits for you with it with your kids and that and your uh, swimsuit lead stuff it's great and you know you are building a, a good reputation for the service that you deliver you, you put great things in place for the guys you you're not overcharging for it you want to deliver a good service you know you're interested in the kids you're passionate about giving back to the sport and that's uh, you know and that's fantastic and i think that and i'm more than happy to support and promote you know in any in any way I can, and again, you know, we, we're talking now that you guys are in your thirties now. Where ah, you're getting older, but yeah. So <laughs> Amy Smith, <laughs> but That's you know, we meet up, <laughs> we meet up socially now. You know, we have a close relationship. You've been to our place. You've been to our place in France. You know, and you don't forge as close a relationship with with everybody by any means, but you do have a relationship with lots of people and. And you'll help them when people phone out about the blue or send a message out of the blue. I'm all too happy to help people um, because they're attached to the program. So it, it's it's great, you know. It's really good to see. Well, thank hey, you. I'm even, thank I'm you even in touch with your dad, Joe, helping him with his coaching and his sets. And <laughs> yeah. Always right, yeah. Well, thanks for the compliments, mate. We, uh, we got you. some inspiration from the best. That's why we like to do what we do. Ah, great, guys. Yeah, <laughs> well, thanks, yeah. Ian. Well, thanks a lot, guys. See you soon. Thanks very much. Yeah, Catch thank you later. You, Bye.